With us on the podcast today, we have Adekunle Aduye, a UX engineer at MailChimp, working on their design system. Yeah, I've been working on that and uh, also like do some prototyping stuff here and there. So, so it's been quite some time since you updated your website. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a while. It's like I want to update it, but I'm like I feel like everyone has this where it's like their website is like the biggest project, even though it's like very yeah. simple and. It's like a daunting task, but I made a deadline for me to kind of get it up by the end of the year. I, I keep on pushing it back, but this I'm going to try to keep my promise. It's like one of my 2021 resolutions. So I'm starting early. Awesome. So. That's good. You, yeah. you are. We, Me and Jackie started talking about like goals for next year. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we talked, I talked a little bit about this with the last podcast guest, which is like, how are you planning for like personal goals for the next year? And it feels like a very daunting task, like still uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of reading and the couple books I read was Essentialism. And also I've been getting to like Stoic philosophy. And I think the idea around like those two books where you only can control what you control. So if I know I can't control, like if I want to say like, oh, I want to go to a beach next year, I'm like, I really have no control in that. So I'm trying to really pinpoint the goals that I can like execute. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm going. But also I'm also learning that like I should not have like a million goals. So I'm just going to try to keep up to at least like three <laughs> and just kind of just make it as simple as possible for myself. So yeah, there's, there's like nothing worse than putting all these goals and then not reaching more than half of them and being like, Oh great. Just failed at that. You know, it's like setting yourself up for that. <laughs> I've definitely learned over the years to keep them simple and few. <laughs> yeah. Three to four is a good number. Yeah. One time I had like 25. So oh, I, yeah. I, I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I was like, I'm going to accomplish one goal per month then, yeah. or every two weeks or something like that. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that doesn't happen. So good for um, you though. <laughs> Love that. That's ambitious. Yeah. So you said you've been working on the MailChimp design system for the last year and a half. That seems like a long time to be working on a design system. And I imagine there's been a lot of learning over that time. Is there anything over the last few months that you like look back and wish you did differently in the past? So I've been working on design systems for a long time, probably like six years or something like that. But this is actually the first time I worked on an actual design system team. So I've learned a lot because usually I'm just like, oh, this is broken or this is like needs to be fixed. I'm just going to do it. And I think when you're working with like other people, making sure that people are aligned about the purpose and like which problem should we solve first. So the one thing I wish I did differently was like making sure that I'm constantly aligned with like people within my team, but also the director level, I think that's like the more important thing I'm rediscovering around like making sure that directors or people that in like the executive level are always understanding the true value of the design system and making sure that we're always kind of showing progress as much as possible. So in in the past, have you not been working on a team? It seems like what you're talking about, the process is just very similar to a product design and development process of like communicating with the team about priorities, breaking things down into smaller bits. Yeah. So it's actually interesting. The first time I worked on the design system, we're treating it as like a side project rather than like a product. And it definitely showed because 
a lot of the stuff we were doing was like over engineered and like we were kind of overthinking it and we really didn't really talk to our users. So based on that experience, I kind of like always would do some user research or like really understanding like who the users are and, and kind of break it down to kind of make sure that we're focusing on like the right thing and also figure out like if there's like quick wins we can kind of do. And usually like we're in like an official team, so more of like a side project. We just try to figure out how to build something real quick. And then my last job, I was kind of like the only person working on the design system team. So it was freeing, but also it was kind of weird because I was just kind of like improving my own PRs and and whatnot. And that's usually not good. <laughs> usually it's good to kind of get some sort of feedback. So mm-hmm. now it's just like we have a bigger team. Like we have engineers, a product manager and whatnot. So it's just weird because like design system is a product, but I think there's a balance because if you put too much process or overthink it, you still kind of run into that same situation of like creating stuff that doesn't provide much value for the users. And I'm talking about like both users, which is like your direct users, which is like your colleagues and whatnot. And then the end user, which is like basically your customers. So that's kind of like the mental model and whatnot. So for the MailChimp style guide, where does that live? Like how do how do you all update it? Like what is the flow there? Is it all in code? Is it static? Like I'm just kind of curious like what it looks like. So we have basically two design systems that we have like the newer one which is not public yet. And then we have like the ux.mailchimp.com. Um, but that's the one that's been up for like 10 years and whatnot. For the newer one, it's built in React. So engineers can leverage like that. But we also, for the designers, they use Figma. And for the documentation, we kind of created like our own, like, I don't want to say like CMS, but it's kind of like a CMS where we're able to kind of update documentation and actual the components. And then we have some of the documentation in Figma because some designers just like the actual component and documentation to be close near each other. So that's another thing we're trying to figure out. But all of the documentation is actually in the actual MailChimp product code base. Mm -hmm. So it's like anytime we make update stuff, we try to um, make it as seamless as possible. And we might rethink this um, as time goes. So. Do you guys also have like code snippets that go along with each component? Like how does that tie into into development? We actually did research on this and we found that a lot of the engineers like to have some sort of like starter code that they can literally just copy and paste mm-hmm. and just play around with the actual component. So we have that. I think the biggest challenge is figuring out like how to, from the producer side of things, like how can we do that without over engineering, but also make it easy for ourselves. So mm-hmm. if I have like a button and... I just literally want to like take the button code and it will just like generate the actual code snippet for us. Cause you did have like an earlier version where we were like duplicating efforts, which was not mm. scalable for the long run. So you mentioned having documentation in Figma. I've always had the challenge of keeping both code and like visual editor in sync. What we've defaulted now to is just like having one that is the source of truth and the other like lagging behind? Is, is that how your team is working? I imagine you might also have people working side by side that are working both in Figma and like working on the same like updates synchronously. I guess, how do you keep Figma and the code updated together? Yeah, it's actually funny. We're doing some audits about like the current components we have and realize that most of the stuff is not synced. 
So <laughs> how we're trying to fix this problem is to making sure that anytime there's like an update to like the design component and trick component, um, we update the code. Usually there's like a designer and an engineer that's like working on the updates together. And then once you publish on the code side of things, then the designer can kind of do an update from the Figma library. So we're going to try that way. Again, I'm not sure like how that's going to work as we had more components to the actual design system because you might have a case where the changes from the component side is just more on lines of like a technical change, but not a visual change. And sometimes it, it could be a visual change, but then there might not be any designers that can like help out with like the, the actual update. So that's some of the things we, we might have to revisit down the line. But I think for now, we're, we're trying to do it where it's like we do it together as much as possible and then see how that goes. So Definitely sort of aligns with the issues that we have seen in the past. It's a challenge to keep both in sync together. I think there's been lots of efforts to try and like sync them together, but nothing's nothing has really panned out. Yeah. And I know there's like a lot of tools that will allow you to like either like Figma or, or some sort of GUI is going to actually output some code that you can utilize for a production or vice versa. But it's surprisingly not easy. I mean, most of the tools, because it's like always like some bugs and sometimes it doesn't do things 100% correct. So the manual change is probably going to be best in the beginning until you can kind of figure out a way to like automate it, which I think that's like the goal for any system, especially with design systems where it's like, you want to make the change once and it automates the changes throughout any other tools and whatnot. There are tons of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them. And some of you may even used a VPN before. But I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Second is speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past. Many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. I've been using ExpressVPN and my internet speeds are blazing fast. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag which is really important for those MLB baseball games when I want to be out of market. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. Just fire up the app and click one button to connect. It's so easy anyone can use it. And it's not just me saying this. Wired, The Verge, CNET, and many other tech experts rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash tentative, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash tentative to learn more. One of the things that you've kept on mentioning was almost internal research with maybe both designers and developers that are using the design system. It sounds like you've been conducting interviews yeah, so literally like the past two design systems I worked on, the first task was like usually just do like two weeks or a month of just like user research. And this is mostly aligned to like figuring out like 
how people use the design systems and also understanding like what are people working on, what are their goals and whatnot. And also I talk about like pain points with like the current implementation and like the design process and whatnot. So I'm really trying to figure out like, all right, they have the designer or engineer. And also I sometimes talk to content strategists and UX researchers and other people to kind of get some ideas of like how they use the system. And I think the idea is like figuring out what are their pain points and figure out like also how can the design system solve those pain points itself. And kind of how I break it down is like usually it's like quick wins and you have like very long term wins. Depending on like the organization, sometimes I focus on those quick wins and it helps me scope it too. So it's like you do the research of like, all right, this is like a theme that you're we're hearing. All right, let's figure out what is like a quick way we can like solve that. And then it's kind of the same thing where sometimes we just create like a proof of concept and then have people like give us feedback on like if this is helpful, um, if not, what can we improve upon it? So it's having like that product design process within design systems. And I think it's been very helpful to kind of scope the work, but also figure out what to work on next. What was the last quick win that you guys worked on? We were launching the official 1.0 version of the design system. And we had like a beta version of it and we wanted to get some feedback on like how people were using it and what's like the sediment overall. One of the bigger sediments was that like we talked to some designers and they were saying that like a lot of the documentation was very engineer focused. Mm. And we understand like there's going to be technical documentation, but we wanted to make sure that in the beginning we're telling like an actual story about like the component. So we're talking about like what the component is how to use it. And this is not really tailored to either design engineer. It's like more generic information. From there, we then have design documentation that's specifically for designers. And then we have like engineering documentation. And that seemed to work well. We released it and people have good feedback on like the documentation and how approachable it is, but also how like we're breaking down the information based on who the audience is. So I think that was a, a good quick win. And also a great example of like how implementing user research and user testing can definitely impact not only the implementation of the design system, but also their documentation. And so when you're doing user testing on a um, design system, do you have a particular method or I don't know, a process for that? So a little bit back when I, when I was getting into like product design, I actually didn't really like doing user research, but I understand and respect like why it's necessary. So Usually I have like a template of like the user research activities I want to do. So I have a template for doing discovery interviews. Mm -hmm. So it always starts with like a proposal to get a really good understanding of like what is the objective of the user research? What are the things I want to learn from it? Potential questions and also the idea of like who I want to speak to. And this is like more specific to like, do I want to speak to a designer? Do I want to speak to an engineer and whatnot? And I kind of list out like how many people I want to talk to. And then from there, once like people comment and you know ask questions about the proposal, and this is like a Google sheet, but this is usually like a list of like the people I'm going to talk to, their roles, their location, and then a link to like the notes, so to say. So, mm-hmm. and if I can like make one of those user research sessions or like discovery interview uh, sessions that anyone else could kind of take the lead. So I make sure that like in the actual notes, all the questions are there and then like people can just kind of ask the questions or they could ask their own questions. And then once all the interviews are done, I usually use like Miro 
to do like an affinity map of what are like the specific things or trends that like people have been seeing throughout the interviews, just mm-hmm. to like categorize it and whatnot. When we first did like the whole user research and then did like the infinity map, we found that a lot of people were interested in like accessibility guidelines. So that's what I try to look for is those like trends that were consistent. Doesn't matter who we're talking to. So if a designer, engineer, researcher were saying like, oh, we need this thing that helps us prioritize what to work on next. And I make sure that throughout this process that like I'm pinging people and making sure people are aware of where I'm at at any given time, because I feel like it's good to kind of do the the research yourself. But if you can kind of bring other people into it, I think Mm -hmm. research is a, a useful skill and something that I feel like more, especially engineers could kind of benefit from. Because I think sometimes from the engineering standpoint, you could just like, oh, I'm going to do this and dive right into like a solution. But taking their time to kind of do the research and go through the process is definitely helpful to kind of put your thoughts out there, but also validate them, which I think is like the biggest thing. Definitely. Yeah, I find that the synthesis is sometimes even more important than the actual (laughs) process, as long as you can articulate, you know, those findings and help identify what comes from there, you know, like what the next steps are. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing I realized where it's like, all right, you've done it, but what is next? Yeah. Now what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I've done before. I'm like, okay, this is nice. And, and then you just like keep on doing the same thing. So I know like when I do the research, I want to do the synthesis right away. And then from there have like the next steps that could be breaking down to like, what is something we can do like right now? And then Mm -hmm. what is something that's like more long-term? I love the idea of using a mural board for like, even just personally for synthesizing, you said an infinity map. When I've done these, it's always like, I probably input a, a bunch of bias into them because I, like I'm, I'm trying to pull out and mentally like see the patterns instead of like putting them on a board and visually seeing like, okay, this person said this thing five times clearly. Mm. And then this person said it also, as opposed to like whatever the theme was, I'm just like start to look for it within the interviews that I do. Yeah. That's one thing I always start, try to communicate to people. You want to make sure that you have like some sort of process that limits any bias. And I think it's it's hard, especially if you're like the only one that's doing the research, you're going to be like, well, I want to do X. So I'm trying to find any nugget or information that will like prove that we need to do it this way. So that's why I always say that there's always, it's always best to kind of like have, you know, two or three people that are doing the research with you so that you can kind of keep in check like those biases as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely helps to have other people doing both checking on the work, conducting the interviews to get varied inputs. Hello, attentive listener. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. There's something everyone will enjoy, including 20-minute meals, low-calorie meals, kid-approved recipes, and more. It was really great for me to see that they had vegetarian options for my whole family. The ingredients are fresh, high-quality, and pre-portioned, so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious. As an extra bonus, if you're like me and care about the environment, HelloFresh is the first global carbon-neutral meal kit company. And it also has a convenient no-contact delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. 
Just last night, I was scrambling around for what to make for dinner when I remembered I had a HelloFresh's black bean and poblano quesadillas in the fridge. The recipe was easy to follow with simple steps and pictures to guide me along the way. The quesadillas turned out great. Everyone thought they were delicious. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Tentative90 and use code Tentative90 to get a total of $90 off, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Tentative90 and enter Tentative90 at checkout. Thanks again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode of Tentative. And you, you had mentioned that you didn't like user research in the beginning, and now... Now it's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> what was the switch? Was there a particular moment or project that kind of helped you come to the other side? Yeah, it's it's just so weird, like, saying I like you doing user research, but I think it's true <laughs> because it's like, I've been doing it a lot. And usually I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to do the research. But yeah, it started, I went to school for art and I kind of despised any of the traditional work around like science where you had to do research and I was like oh like mm. <laughs> I, I hated doing it so I was like let me try to do as much as possible to avoid it yeah and I was working um as a product a product designer at uh Nasdaq and I had no idea who the users are I didn't know like the, the business and whatnot and the best way to kind of do that was with research like that's the only way you can kind of really gain context of like who the users are what their pain points what are like the the business goals and whatnot and there's been many scenarios where the lack of research actually hurt a project because we just made a lot of assumptions about the user. And then if we had done proper research, we would have caught, have caught that and be able to kind of be more proactive about it. So I realized like how research definitely could save a lot of time to making sure that you build in the right thing. Because oftentimes, I know from the design perspective, sometimes we were just like, oh, like this looks great. This is beautiful. But I think if you think about it from like a more of a user-centric approach, it doesn't matter how how it looks at first. I think the most important thing is like if it's solving people's problems and be able to validate any of those assumptions and whatnot. So that's where I kind of started to take um, more user research focus, but also have more appreciation for it. And I kind of use it for everything now. So like it could be like anything from like how should we name a component to like even like the tools I use. Uh, I try to have like a user research methodology of like, what is the purpose of this tool and get some feedback from other people that have used the tool and whatnot. And I think that was like one of the things that like transformed my career. Now I'm not only thinking about like how it looks, but like if it's actually solving people's problems and the only way to really gain that context is to like do user research, but also understand when to do research. And I think another thing is also like around the questions you ask. And I think that's the thing that kind of turned my career around. Yeah. I remember in the beginning, I was I was so nervous in my initial user interviews. I was more nervous than the person coming in. <laughs> and uh, over time, that definitely has has eased. But that took, a, I don't know, it took a while to feel confident in it, for sure. Especially the first one I've ever done. I'm like, I have never done this before. And this person is probably expecting someone who's an expert, who like has done this a million times. And so I've, I've definitely done it a million times, I think. So... <laughs> <laughs> but not saying that you have to do that in order to feel comfortable. It just takes a while to feel confident, you know, in like what you're doing and the questions you're asking too. Yeah. I had a scenario where my first like user testing session, I probably got through like two questions mm-hmm. in like 30 minutes. 
Because I was like, oh, interesting. I was like, kind of like, oh, like chit chatting. Yeah. And then uh, I got um, the head of researcher. She, I think she did a good job. What uh, she did was like, rather than doing the actual testing and interviews herself, she just kind of allowed people to do it themselves, but also be on the call just in case. So she was like, we only have five minutes left. And I was like, oh, Lord, I didn't I didn't even get through any of the questions that we wanted mm. to, to go through. Mm-hmm. And she gave me some good feedback. I think that the feedback was that uh, if people ask a question, just mm-hmm. kind of throw the question back to them. Yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, this is how you do it. And I was just like doing a lot of talking. So it was like, I was like, oh, I'm definitely not doing this right. <laughs> yeah. Whenever, whenever someone asks you if a feature is going to do something, that's like the whole, like, what would you expect it to do? <laughs> you know, like that whole, <laughs> the whole Jedi mind trick. I feel, I feel like that's helpful too in like my everyday life in terms of even just talking with people I, you know, like I know, <laughs> and like outside of work, you know, if someone says something, I'm always like, well, what do you expect to happen? <laughs> now I, I'm uh, rethinking all my conversations with you. Yes. <laughs> Me? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It is good when you have someone on the call, especially someone who's more experienced to be able to give feedback. And that's one of the things that I still to this day, when I have other people on the call for my team, I'll hop off the call and be like, how could I do that better? That's been something, not only for like research, but just like consistent throughout my um, career was like, I knew I wanted to kind of do a lot of things and think the quickest way to like be good at something is like have someone be very honest about like what you could like improve on. Again, if I was like doing that myself, I'd be like, oh, I'm a great at research. But (laughs) someone actually had to point out, I was like, yeah, you have to do this. And also the idea of like shutting up and like pausing and allowing the participants to kind of think through their questions rather than just interrupting them. Oh, yeah. That was like another challenge. It was super hard. I have a trick where I just like have lots of water around me and I just drink water. <laughs> yes. So it's like, it helps me shut up, but then I have to go to the bathroom. So it's like, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not foolproof, but I think that like, that was super helpful where it's so like, funny. I'm keeping my mouth occupied where I'm like not trying to help them as they're like trying to think about something or even like ask questions. I always mm-hmm. try to have some sort of buffer and whatnot. It's like the Snickers commercial, like need a minute, you know, just like shove Snickers in your mouth after every question. (laughs) I still do it, you know, but I I am very cognizant of not giving example answers to people. You know, like, how do you connect with your team? Like through email or is it like a text or do you, you know, like that kind of a thing. I have to always remember to shut up after I ask a question. (laughs) I do something similar where I'll make assumptions based on the conversation we're having so far and be like, oh, it sounds like you're doing this. And then ask oh, a yeah. question based off of that. And it's just like, <laughs> no, you should have you should have asked about that assumption first. <laughs> we're just our brains are always going is basically mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, like seeing yourself interviewing someone like watching you do it. <laughs> like outside of yourself and being like, yeah, drink that water now, please. Or <laughs> you you just made an assumption. Oh my God. I did improv for a while. And in a first class, I remember I was doing a scene and there was a big thing where it's like, don't ask questions, just make statements. Because when you ask a question like, oh, is that your dad? It puts the other person in a position to have to kind of move the scene forward. So I remember like I was in one of the practices and I first thing I did was ask a question. I was like, oh, no questions. And the guy was like, instructor was like, you're fine. Like it's (laughs) like, just keep going. (laughs) It's okay. But it's like weird, like saying a thing and then being like, oh man, wait, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> Keeping yourself in check. Yeah. I would love to do a good, the bad, and the ugly on conducting research for design systems. Ooh. The good, the bad, <laughs> and the ugly. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. So I would, I'll start with the bad. I think the bad about doing user research um, for design systems is that like people start thinking that you're a user researcher, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I had a lot of comments where it's like, oh, you should be like a researcher. And I'm like, <laughs> and how I do things when I talk to like researchers and how they do things, I was like, yeah, that's never going to happen because <laughs> they, they, they take it to another level. That, and I use like the same like three techniques. So that would be like the bad, the ugly, not doing research at all. It's weird that like I had worked on design systems in the past where I didn't do research. It was like, oh yeah, we know like our users, like they, people are going to love this. And then no one uses it. And we're like, wait, why did that happen? It was like, well, you didn't do any research. So that's what you get. So, <laughs> and I think the good, this is like with anything about like doing research is that you really identifying some of the pain points your direct consumers go through and also understanding their goals. Because I think for a design system to be successful and also for people to actually use it, you have to really tie into people's goals and like how people work. Like I said, I'm always surprised by what I learn from me doing user research because I spent time as a designer, spent time as an engineer. So I kind of see like from both sides, but there's always like a couple of situations where I'm like surprised about like, oh, I'd never have thought about that. And the only way you could actually do that is like you actually do the research and you actually have like a cadence of like when you do the research. So for me, definitely doing it each quarter has been very helpful to not only keep up to date of like what people are doing, but also mm-hmm. to ground my work. Especially for me, I have a tendency to like overthink stuff and try to shoot for the moon. Whereas like, oh, we just need to do the simple thing or it could be like documentation. So I think that's definitely the good about doing user research, especially for design systems. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Definitely. Thank you so much for yeah. playing Thank our you. not weird game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm only saying it's not weird because we do it all the time. <laughs> so no, now it's normal. Like that. I'm like, it actually had me thinking. I was like, oh, wow. Let me, let me really think about this. But yeah, I think that was, that was pretty cool. So. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for hopping on. If people want to get in touch, what's some of the best ways to get in touch? Not my website. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Twitter is probably the best way to reach out to me. And my new and improved website that's coming by the end of 2021, where you can learn all the things I'm working on. But Twitter, LinkedIn, I go by my first and last name, so it shouldn't be hard to find me. We'll have links to that in the show notes, too. Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. So you can find show notes at tentative.fm. You can tweet at us at tentative.fm. You can email us at hosts at tentative.fm. And please rate us on iTunes. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.